Welcome to episode 150 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. You know what? If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I would like to remind you that subscribing is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy. And subscribing is easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Google Music and search for Stageworthy and click the subscribe button. You can also find links for the show at both Google and Apple on the Stageworthy website. And you know what? If you like the podcast, I hope you leave a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and comments help new people find the show, or even better than that. There's actually research now that shows that people become loyal listeners to podcasts that are recommended to them. So if you like this podcast and you know somebody that you think will enjoy the podcast, tell them about it. Because some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody told me about them. You know what? If you feel like dropping me a line to say hi, remember that you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is dramaturge, educator, acting coach, and costume designer, Rosanna Saracino. I've wanted to talk to Rosanna for a little while. She's been uh, teaching actors and teaching people to act at uh, various schools uh, for many years, and uh, she has a lot to say about teaching actors and how the industry is changing, and so she's seen it all. Um, I really enjoyed my conversation with her, so uh, here that is. started before we start talking about teaching theater which is something that you do because i noticed that you're teaching at george brown i am as well as uh you are uh head of the acting division at, at randolph uh, i actually just stepped down from that role as of september 1st okay um but i did it for 20 years 20 years is a long time it is a, long, a long time, time. <laughs> um so what so first off before we get into like teaching um theater what what made you want to do it? What brought you to theater? Before we even started talking about directing what you've done and everything else. Uh, I'm Italian. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a rather operatic environment. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, bordered largely on uh, melodrama, some mm -hmm. absurdism, and I spent most of my, um, you know, Saturdays and Sundays surrounded by dozens of people interacting uh, loudly, mm -hmm. and the cliches were all true. <laughs> um, and um, I was a really shy kid, though. Mm. I did not speak much at all until mm. I was about 11. Mm -hmm. Very, very shy. And so uh, I really spent a lot of that time observing these people, huh. these crazy people. Huh. And uh, there's something about, maybe it's the gestural system and the, and the culture that ritualism of, of cooking and uh, social interaction mm -hmm. and dynamics between men and women and you know there's something about that that I was acutely aware of mm. from an early age I would say that's one part of it 
I would say another part of it is um, when I was a kid, uh, a kid's theatre company came to my grade school. Okay. And we were not allowed to enter the gymnasium until it was time to see the show. Mm -hmm. We were forbidden to do such a thing. And I don't know why, but this shy kid in me decided to wander the halls and enter the gymnasium. Mm -hmm. And I remember cracking open the doors and this surge of movement of these actors who were creating the set, you know, obviously yeah. a traveling company, yeah, doing yeah, yeah. kids shows, and they're setting up the set. And of course, I didn't really have any knowledge of this. I was really young. I was like four or five or six. Yeah. And at the center of it, I'm just going to, here's true confessions, at the center of it was this very tall, lanky man with red hair, and I had never seen a red-haired man in my life. Okay. And I was just, I thought he was magic. I, ah. I was like, oh, what is that creature? I literally related to it that way. Um, and of course, I know this is an application in retrospect, but some part of me believes that I somehow understood what I was witnessing mm. and then got to see the show later that afternoon and the kind of sense of rapture and mm. delight and transformation mm. that was possible, um, which also in some weird ways related to going to these Italian church ceremonies every weekend with my family, this sure. kind of larger than life sacred space where anything is possible yeah. or the surreal seems mm -hmm. to be possible mm -hmm. um i also attribute it to watching lots of looney tunes you and can't go wrong with bugs bunny no you certainly cannot and uh, i also uh, watched a lot of um old classic cinema okay sunday afternoons that was the ritual with my mother mm. is we would watch there was always a double feature on sunday afternoons and yeah. we would just sit and watch while you know the men were off playing cards mm. or whatever it yeah. was and the dishes were done and we watched two classic films well i mean the classic films are they were very theatrical in Absolutely. that it was almost like camera stays here things happen around it so yeah. yes yes and so i think that was the early uh, uh soup mm. stew swamp that yeah. was uh, that fostered that, um, a shy kid in the face of all of these things. Um, and eventually I discovered punk rock when I was like 11. And um, the rest is history, as did, they did, say. Did at any point before punk rock, did you do any theater? Did you do any plays or anything? Or were you uh, well, too shy for I was that? cast in a show... Uh, when I was in grade four uh -huh. by my teacher, grade five, grade five by my teacher, and I was horrified. I was literally the kid in class, you know, with the hair on their face, yep, yep. who like is like, oh, don't look at me. Yes, I was yeah. that kid. And um, she cast me, we were doing some version of like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Mm -hmm. And I was cast as the princess, which is like the female lead. Right. <laughs> and um, I, you know, I was horrified. I literally was so terrified of this. Yeah. And I had a moment, which I think a number of people in theater have, where suddenly you're out there and you're trembling and you want to die. And something happens where there's a response from the audience and you're like, what's that now? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I, there's a scene where I had to like, I had this like cardboard cutout of some kind of like urn of oil and I had to pour it onto the thieves who are hiding in these other jars. And I made the sound effect. <laughs> that's all it was I literally was like Psh! Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there was a roaring laughter mm. and the, the idea that someone especially who, who was very you know quiet mm -hmm. could have such a resonant impact yeah. on a group of people was surprising mm. 
Um, and then I didn't really do any other theater beyond that in grade school at all. Um, it wasn't until high school that I started. I took drama classes yeah. and did all of that stuff. But I will say, I went to French schools, and there were always classes about uh, like animation culturelle, which is like basically we were introduced to you know musicians of Quebec and yeah. actors and dancers and filmmakers, and really from a very early age mm -hmm. exposed to the idea of artists and their art, mm -hmm. uh, writers, poets, you name it. And I I just think somehow this all really led to wanting to work in this field. So you were you were raised in, in Quebec? Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Okay. I was born in Ottawa, mm -hmm. and so I did some schooling there, and then eventually I found myself in Montreal. Mm -hmm. yeah. There is, there is, I mean, we, ha we have to acknowledge that there's a difference in the way that uh, the, the Quebecois see their, the arts and the way that uh, English Canada sees the arts. And... Uh, Unfortunately, the Quebecois, well, good for them, not so good for us. They tend to celebrate it in a way that we don't and celebrate the people who make it in a way that we don't, yes. which is unfortunate. I agree. I agree. And I would say when I initially was considering coming to Toronto, well, actually, when I first started really working in the theater as a director, when I first started doing my own work out there, mm -hmm. um, there was a, a real uh, interest in, I, I was largely exposed to a, a movement uh, called La Relève. And that was um, a group of artists at the time who were the emerging experimental mm -hmm. theater makers. And it was like Wajdi Mouawad was part of that group and Michel Monti and Yvan Bienvenu and Jean-Frédéric Messier and, uh, you know, uh, companies like Pigeon International and mm -hmm. Carbon 14, like these really like doing work that you could not see on a day-to-day mm -hmm. -day basis elsewhere in the country. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, when I was doing work in English... Uh, I really felt like, is there a meeting place between what I'm seeing in those rooms, mm -hmm. in the way that they work, in how they rehearse, and how they create material, and how they write plays, and the way I've been, quote-unquote, trained to create work mm. uh, in this Anglophone community, which was much more staid, right? Yeah, it was much yeah. more like you've got three weeks of rehearsal, and you... You know, mm -hmm. you block all your scenes, and mm -hmm. I was like, that's not me, and mm -hmm. it's not what I dreamed of making. And so uh, I, uh, the way that I did that is I started translating uh, some of their work mm -hmm. and doing English versions of them and okay. figuring out what, where I lived between these two communities. Mm. And um, <clears throat> when I eventually, years later, when I, uh, I moved to Toronto, I moved to Toronto to do my master's at mm -hmm. York in mm -hmm. directing. And that was my whole pitch when I first got here. I was like, I'm really interested in bringing these kinds of more imagistic, uh, what we now refer to as devised approaches, um, and working with large casts to create new Canadian content. Mm. And the first piece that I did as a director at York is uh, part of a project that was called at the time the Origins Project where the directors are given two countries in the world to choose mm -hmm. from, and you have to seek out either some myth or story from mm -hmm. one of those countries, and you have five days, you're handed a cast of undergrad actors, a mix of undergrad and master's actors, and you have to create a new work in five days. Mm. And so I did my thing. It was a dream come true. I was like, great. Yeah. 
And the feedback, <laughs> the feedback I got was, we're not sure we want to see any more of your Montreal imagistic feminist theater here. That was my first feedback moving to Ontario. Well, fuck. To, what the? And the beauty of that is my assistant director made me a t-shirt that said just that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's nice. kind of yeah. how it went from there. And, mm. and I think since then, like, I've always been a very visual, layered, textured uh, director, creator, mm. uh, educator, uh, in terms of I like the details, I yeah. like the layers, I like the, I, I believe all these elements are imperative, whether yeah. they're design elements or choreographic elements or text elements or yeah. character. Um, so that's kind of the broad story. How did you decide that, how did you figure out that directing was something that you wanted to do? I knew I never wanted to be an actor. Okay. I was never interested in acting. Hmm. I never even tried to do it. Okay. Like, it's not like I, I tried to act and then it didn't happen. No, it was all, you were always, like, directing yeah, as a I thing. Yeah, I didn't know what that, <clears throat> what it <clears throat> meant. Um, and then when I was in high school, um, I was, um, I, I was, okay, so, so here's the checkered past coming to life. <clears throat> so I was um, asked to leave my parents' home when I was 15. Okay. And so uh, I was basically a homeless teenager, mm -hmm. and I uh, refused to, you know, like, proud Italian family, punk rock, and I was like, I'm not going to beg for money. And so I got jobs and put myself through university and right. kind of figured it out. But I started making theater up there because there were buskers out there, and I can't sing a note to save my life. So I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I started making theater on the streets with other homeless teenagers. And did a bunch of shows, and um, and then I eventually found out that my um, the high school or somewhere in that time period, I found out that the high school uh, that I was at had a budget for a formal play mm. every year, but nobody had done one since I'd been there. Oh. So I went and said, okay, well I want to do a play, and um, I got like the three years worth of budget to do one okay. show. <clears throat> And wow. so I conceived of this piece loosely inspired by um, the little matchstick girl, mm -hmm. because of course I have a you know I had a longstanding um, self perception of being a misfit and of course, I, you know yeah. whatever a lost girl, and so I used that and I kind of wrote this play and and a friend from high school kind of helped write it and we've tried to figure it out, and I was directing it without knowing that that was a job in the theater, hmm. you know and so I like design the sets mm -hmm. and you know mm -hmm. and I kind of wrote this thing and I kind of told people what to do and I know that a lot of people reduce directing to that and of course it you know it yeah, wasn't yeah. about that per se but it was like how do we bring this to life like yeah. this is the story and we kind of made it together and um so that was the first time that I officially I guess directed without mm. officially directing um, okay so it started there, mm -hmm. um, but I had seen theater by then. Like in high school, it was very regular for us to go see theater, like any of the the great companies from um, France that were coming in to do, you know, Moliere classics mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the big stages. Like yeah. we saw all of those, and uh, I just loved it. And it just mm. felt like, it felt like home. It felt yeah. like belonging. Mm. It felt like I understood the world before mm -hmm. I knew anything about its rules or mm. regulations, and it felt that I could have a voice there. Was there anything that mm, let you know that you could, that this could be your life, that this could be your life's work? Because a lot of a lot of people, I know so many people, they were like they used to do theater, and then, you know, 
they went to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor said, oh, no, 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 you should study business or, oh, no, 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 you're good at math, you should do math. Mm-hmm. And so they do math and they're, they're okay at it and they look back on, on theater because they never thought there was a, a life there, there was, mm-hmm. that it could be a thing that you did <clears throat> for anything more than just fun. What was it that, that made you know that... Uh, I didn't have a standard upbringing in that I was, <laughs> I was raised to be a wife. <laughs> You know, in my childhood mm-hmm. home, and so there wasn't guidance in terms of your career, mm-hmm. per se. I mean, my mother was very good about, like, you know, you're very skilled in these ways, and you're very smart, and mm-hmm. maybe you should be a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, like traditional successful sure, yeah. jobs. Yeah. And, um, but there wasn't really a push towards that, mm-hmm. and I was out of there before it was really a question, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I was really relying on my own mm-hmm. ideas of the world. You know, like I didn't even know at that age that like people had to do taxes. Like there was just no knowledge oh, of, of how yeah, the yeah, world yeah, yeah, works, yeah. right? Like as an adult and that you're supposed to kind of plan out a career. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it seemed perfectly feasible mm-hmm. for me to just like like the theater and do it. Because there was nobody to really say otherwise. Well, that's the best way to go into it, quite frankly. <laughs> I know. That's like, Blind you know, Because you don't, because in that case, there's not, there hasn't been, when you're in your teenage years, there hasn't been somebody who's like, oh, I don't know if you can do that. Absolutely that's, not. No, yeah. I didn't receive that at all. You know, it was really up to me to mm. shape my life as I saw fit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, that was it, yeah. really. Like, I could not be plainer about that answer. That was huh. really it. And certainly there have been moments in my career where I'm like, too old to retrain as that lawyer my mother suggested <laughs> you know um, we, I mean I think we all like I, so many people that I went to theater school with don't do it anymore I agree I know you know and so many people that I went to theater school with um, maybe didn't last two years out of theater mm-hmm. school because it's tough it is extraordinarily difficult yeah and some of them, like, they, you know, they gave it up, and they gave it up entirely. Like, they don't even do it on the side anymore. They yeah. don't. It's a thing that they look back on as something that they used to do, because I don't think, well, when you're, like, we all went into theater school when we were all, like, yeah. 18, 19. Yeah. And so when they said, it's a hard life, we were like, yeah, for you, maybe. Yeah. You know, not realizing that once you hit 30, suddenly you want to... <laughs> It's things you like yeah. you're like oh i'd like to eat more than ramen noodles and i would like to not have a room you know all these things that you you think that that you want and then so people start you know, the dominoes fall yeah um but also like all of us who went through theater school had to justify why we were going to theater school to to certain people whether it was a guidance counselor whether, whether it was a parent or something like that mm-hmm. um as somebody who teaches theater students do you do they ever do you ever hear the stories of how they've struggled with justifying why they're doing it of course i hear that i I wouldn't say a lot though i mean i think it's it goes through phases right it seems like we've been in a phase for some time now where if someone has chosen this then the majority of their family seems to be supportive in a way i've Mm. never heard of Mm. in the past Mm. like that seems much more absolute than it used to be whereas Mm. you know you go back even just five Seven years, yeah. there were definitely more people in, an, in a student's life that mm. were questioning their choice or their other friends, their non-theater friends mocking their choice. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. Oh, did you spend the day being a tree today? And yes. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, so I would say more before than now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've certainly heard it. And, you know, like the truth of it is I, I've certainly had conversations in a classroom situation where I'm like, 
you know, whether or not you choose to do this for the rest of your life, if you continue to choose this every day and there comes a day where you don't choose it, the thing is, is be sure to at least choose it today in its absolute mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. You know, gain all that you can from the experience um, because it'll contribute to everything mm-hmm. else ultimately. And if we talk, you know, business talk, then soft skills go a long way yes. in this yep. day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that talk is abating mm. now. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. That's good. Because yeah. when I went to my guidance counselor, my guidance counselor, when I, you know, I was like, they're like, you have to start thinking about university. And I said, I don't know what university. I'm thinking about a college. And they were like, oh, college. <laughs> and uh, so well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to be an actor. And they said. <laughs> Not so good. They were like, I don't know. They were like, I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah. You know. Um, so, you know, I figured it out on my own. But. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us did. It's great that, that that's not happening so much for a lot of it. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, of course, there's still, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly students. I would say that if they're questioning mm-hmm. that, it's more their own question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there's a, a different kind of awareness of... It's interesting. When they, you know, when they're beginning training, there's, a, as always less of an awareness of the real way that the industry actually works as Mm -hmm. opposed to like, I'm going to be famous. Yes. And, um, but I feel like there's a savviness to a lot of people now. Hmm. Um, (coughs) Excuse me, where there's an understanding of like, there are no guarantees Mm -hmm. and that I'm making a choice in a difficult industry Hmm. and that, you know, I think that there's a different awareness of Hmm. that um, with, with, young actors or actors in training. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that it, you know, whether it's because that's being introduced more by their instructors and curriculum is really mm-hmm. providing a sense of perspective of, you know, how to go about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure, mm. you know, whether they're, yeah, I'm not sure mm. why, but there there seems to be more of an awareness of like, okay, the dream is still as big as ever. Oh, of course it is, yeah. You know, the eyes are still shiny. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that there's a real sense of like, I get the question of lo- a lot of like, can I really make a living? Hmm. I get that question from people. Like, can you make a guaranteed living? And of course, the answer, the answer is, no. is no. Yeah. Right. And then where do you go from there? Yeah. Then you try to, you know, find those points of discussion of what their passion is for this mm-hmm. and how do they imagine it and how does that compare to what they've actually gone out and seen? Yeah. And what they've discovered about the industry and which part of the industry do you want to work in Mm -hmm. and in which city and you know I like I try to really make sure that they're aware of the fact that every city has a theater scene Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to feeling like well Toronto's the hub and it's the only place yeah Toronto's a great place to be it's a great scene but Mm -hmm. it's not the only one yeah and uh, and I think it's important to experience theater in other cities and other countries, you know, to mm. get a real sense of what your voice is ultimately going to be and yeah. the kind of work you really want to do. It's so interesting because there, there's so many people that I know who've been doing, doing, you know, been in the theater for years who started off as like, I'm an actor. And now they're an actor slash uh, a fight choreographer, an actor slash mm. intimacy director. They're an actor slash so many things. And so we're all hyphenates now. We're all like... Survival becoming survival well it's all like we're all like we all take all of our skills and like how do we mm-hmm. in the way that so many entrepreneurs do because you know i think that a lot of people are starting to think of themselves as entrepreneurs as well as artists and 
you know, what are all of my skills? How, how, what, how can I put all of these things together to, to, yes. to make a career in this? Yes, I have many hyphenates. I understand this perfectly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I work as a director. I work as an acting coach. Mm-hmm. I've worked as an acting coach for theater. I work on set as an acting coach. Mm-hmm. I've actually coached film directors on how to work with actors. Mm-hmm. I've done wardrobe design in theater, film, special events, red carpets. I've dressed celebrities. I've dressed rock stars. I've dressed, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I've, I've done dramaturgy. Mm-hmm. I've done uh, script editing, you know, like mm-hmm. you name it. I've probably done it at some point or wow. other. Yeah. And of course, because the truth is, is you can't always survive mm-hmm. on the one thing mm-hmm. that you may do. Um, and I think it's also that a lot of us love the theater. Yeah. And if it means getting to do something else in the theater, fine sure. by me. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Fine by us. It's like, yeah. oh, I have a passion for that. That's great. I'll happily do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So getting to the teaching, yeah. what is it, when did you start teaching and, and what, what, uh, what made you want to? When I got into my master's, I was given classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, well, to be fair, when I was in my undergrad, um, I had an amazing instructor uh, for a Canadian theater history class. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was actually already working in the industry. I was working at Playwrights Workshop Montreal. Mm-hmm. And because I had, I was determined <laughs> to mm-hmm. get in there. Right. And so, um, as it turns out, all the people we were studying, or not all, but a number of the people we were studying in this Canadian theater history class, I was interacting with at work on a oh. regular basis. <laughs> and this was very exciting. So this instructor was always like, tell us some stories, Rosanna. Like, tell us about mm-hmm. what it's like to work with these people directly. And what have you learned about what dramaturgy is? And etc. And mm. so she actually would let me take over huh. some of the classes. Oh, wow. And that was great fun for me. And it was just exciting to share that with friends of mine, mm-hmm. like my ensemble, my team of people. Um, and then when I, like I said, when I did my master's, I was given uh, some classes to do. And I, you know, I didn't really see much difference in some ways between directing and teaching. Hmm. I felt like there was there was there was enough common ground that I was hmm. like it just feels like directing in hmm. some ways, and um, and I guess I did well by that, uh, so that way I was ultimately hired when I finished my master's when I graduated, I was hired to teach at York. I did hmm. my master's at York and was hired literally to teach hmm. their third and fourth year creative ensemble classes. Hmm. So I was the instructor on those courses. It was great. Uh, And I did that for, I think after my master's, I did that for an additional five years. Okay, wow. Um, The other thing that happened when I graduated from my master's, uh, Ron Singer was the, uh, had been the the chair of the, um, the head of the master's program, Mm -hmm. uh, grad studies. And uh, he and I had worked together quite a bit. He had hired me to assist him in teaching some of his classes and uh, we had a lot of kinship in terms of our belief of what was necessary in the theater and what training an actor could mean Mm -hmm. and I was starting to figure this out with him in part yeah and uh, he was uh, the artistic director of the Randolph Academy at that time right so on convocation the day that I graduated I received a message at home and I literally started teaching at Randolph the very next day. Oh, wow. And came in and taught a class and uh, assisted Ron in, in a couple of classes and then taught a couple of classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, within, I think, two terms, I think it was, I became the head of the acting division. Hmm. 
and there were jokes at a certain point of, uh, in time back then where it's, it was like the Rosanna Academy for the performing uh-huh. arts yeah. because I was just, you know, I was given the opportunity to really teach mm-hmm. and to help develop the curriculum at that time for the acting division. Hmm. And uh, yeah, Ron entrusted me with a, a lot of teaching at the time and mm-hmm. it was great. We were able to really work together to forge a curriculum which was reflective of the industry at that time to ensure that students had what we perceived, of course, to be the necessary skills to be viable in the mm-hmm. industry, to be, you know, thinking like solid critical analysis skills, mm-hmm. interpretive skills, a sense of their impulses and instincts, a good emotional life, etc. Um, physical, vocal, and so on and so on. We know there's a million things required, yeah. <laughs> but that you know there was a, a solid foundation there by which they could enter the industry, mm. have a sense of who they were, mm-hmm. the beginnings of who they were going to be as artists uh, in that industry. And it was great fun. It was a really great time. Hard work. Yeah. Obviously, long hours, crazy hours. Mm-hmm. I remember we used to be in a building off of Young Street, and we had a, a building on that side street, and another set of classrooms were on Young Street. And I remember there were days where I would teach, like, you know, till a certain hour and have 10 minutes and have to run up the street to the other building, teach for like three hours, mm-hmm. run back to the next building. Wow. And I would just do that all day long mm. and uh, for days in a row. And um, But I learned so much then. Um, it was an incredible, mm. incredible opportunity between those two schools, between yeah. York and Randolph, mm. to really set a precedent for the kind of instructor I could be. So you were building a curriculum at Randolph I from, was, yeah. from the beginning. And... You know, you, you mentioned how you were trying to, you know, put together the skills that an actor would need mm-hmm. coming out of school. Um, how did that change? How did those skills change from when you started teaching at Randolph to when you finished? Like, there's the industry changes and what the industry wants and the way the industry operates changes over time. Is there is there anything that you can put your finger on as to how things it's changed? It's a very difficult question. Um because in some ways this is a very intuitive and experiential, you know, you make those mm-hmm. those choices based on your direct experience or my direct experience working as a director in that industry mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, 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 these things are very interrelated. Yeah. Um, because my honest answer is that in some ways n- not much has changed, mm. right? You still really, like I still am very driven by the idea of um, the belief that it's not about the talent, quote unquote, that you might come in with, but it's the growth ratio. Mm-hmm. It's what you do with it over time. Uh, that it's about uh, honesty, mm-hmm. finding conviction in the truth of a given story through empathy mm-hmm. and uh, through generosity. Mm. Um, uh, using what you know about life, um, but not using your personal diary. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gaining perspective on the world hmm. and how other people view things mm-hmm. and live and trying to understand that, other customs, points of view, perceptions. Hmm. Uh, understanding something about psychological and emotional makeup of human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning to how to embrace fallibility. Mm-hmm. The Achilles heel of us all, which sometimes makes for the best theater very true very true so in some ways like those in those things that i feel are really essential mm. um are not really different mm. 
Um, I think that somehow there are elements of the training that have changed. Um, I think there was a focus uh, at a certain point in time and for a period of time on really developing a high polished machine of an actor. Mm -hmm. Do you know who can come in oh, yeah. and be very clean and very very flawless? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Better not snap the fingers into the mic. That's right. That's and right. Um, you know, a, really a, a finished mm -hmm. package. And I think we're on some level moving towards a less finished and more intuitive mm -hmm. package. Um, I think both those things, abilities are necessary, sure. honestly. Yeah. Like, and I don't believe like just because things are moving in this direction that the other skills fall away no. in terms of what's necessary for training. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's kind of the movement of the last 10 years in mm. very obviously general yeah. terms. Other things have happened. But if I had to say the standouts, it would say this mm. transition from very product, polished, oriented mm -hmm. uh, act, actor training to uh, much more um, uh, who am I, what do I have to say, ensemble, mm. devised mm. moods and feelings, mm. uh, honoring yourself, which is not bad. None of this is bad, but it's yeah. moving <clears throat> towards this instinct-driven thing. Hmm. Um, a thing, you know, process. Yeah. Um, so I would say that. That's probably the biggest uh, trans transition. It's interesting. The when I was in, when I was in theater school back in nineteen ninety four, I was at Georgetown College at the time. We were in this tiny warehouse at the corner of King and River. That's gone now. It's a condo now, um, and we were you know being taught that our career was going to be audition for the job, get the job, audition for the job, get the job, mm -hmm. audition for the job, get the job. There was never any talk of self producing. Yes. Um, in fact, there were a couple of times I recall somebody saying, well, you know, if, if you know, maybe uh, that doesn't work here, maybe you could do, do a solo show at Fringe or something. Like, it was like the, mm -hmm. the lowest possible thing was to do a Fringe show or a solo show. Yeah. But that's changed so much now. And I'm looking, I'm looking at the, for example, the George Brown faculty, and there's somebody who's teaching self-producing, which is, which is relatively new. Mm -hmm. And we've, there's been this whole, like, shift in the... Knowing how to self-produce is kind of a necessary skill in this day and age. Um, is that something that you've seen at Randolph as well or that you saw here? Yes, I mean, definitely. I, you know, in part, that was the great thing about just flipping back to York. Like, that mm. was the great thing about Creative Ensemble at that time is those courses, because I also got to develop curriculum there, mm -hmm. were designed to helping students who came as actors or writers or would-be directors or educators even mm -hmm. figure out what... Um, theater is and creating new forms of theater um, and so that was great and I had that background uh, I'd also done a lot of creative ensemble and yeah. work in Quebec and when I got to Randolph there wasn't necessarily that same kind of room within the classroom per se initially mm -hmm. but there were always out, uh, outside of <clears throat> curriculum events so there was always coffee houses or um, you know a students would get together and develop their own work literally mm. in-house and be able to showcase it in mm -hmm. various forums. There were student-driven groups that I got to mentor at Randolph mm. um, that were about dramaturgy or playwriting or new play creation or whatever it is. And uh, to this day, we still have coffee houses here mm. uh, that go on where students get to showcase either, you know, um, uh, existing material, um, but done through their own initiative. Mm -hmm interpreted through their own initiative or sometimes new created pieces. 
Um, so that does still exist here um, and has continued to exist here. So it's been around, I think, from the beginning, which nice. is really nice. And there's always been talk of that. There used to be um, classes here that were um, about creating your own solo show. Mm. And so you'd have an entire term where you would work on developing your own piece. Mm -hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, um, one of the grads from this program from a few years back <laughs> Uh, went on and has become actually a professional clown, mm -hmm. has done lots of her own solo creations, has really, like, it literally led, it, it became a catalyst to her whole career mm -hmm. and identity mm -hmm. as a performer, which is really nice. Nice. Um, so I think that kind of thing is imperative. Yeah. And, and um, I'm glad it's happening more often. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the things that often comes up when we talk about uh, theater schools and things like that is... There are certain challenges, and some of them came to light in the past year or so. Um, people writing about particular experiences they've had at different theater schools and things like that. Um, of uh, the process of, and I don't know if this happens anymore because I haven't been in theater school in a long time, but the idea of we need to break you down and build you back up. Mm -hmm. And what I always found in my own class and talking to other people is that, that there was a lot of breaking you down. Not a whole lot of building you back up. So the whole thing was like very one-sided where you were mm -hmm. uh, sort of torn down and weakened a little bit and then thrust out into the world without that last half of the, of the, of the package mm -hmm. happening. Um, did you see any of that when you were teaching? Did you, like, did you fight against that? Or, like, I, don't, I, I don't, have. Yeah. I certainly have. Um, uh, I mean, I know that that has existed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't perceive myself to be that kind of mm -hmm. instructor. Um, I don't believe in that way of working. Have I seen it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've seen it when I was a student mm -hmm. myself. I've, you know, and I've seen it beyond that. Uh, I would say that, uh, I would say it still happens mm -hmm. in general uh, at, you know, various theater schools across this country. Mm -hmm. I think there's still, that ideology uh, is still upheld by mm -hmm. some uh artist educators or educators mm -hmm. um i've never felt it was hmm. useful i think it's dangerous and i think it's um i, I think it's about power and oh yeah absolutely i just think it's i i think it's unfortunate i think so too and i, I agree that it's about power i think it, mm -hmm. it's definitely about power um i always found uh when i was at george brown um there was always the every semester you'd find you have the, the meeting between yourself, the, the, the uh, artistic director and the, the head of acting, and they would basically decide if you were going to stay with them. Mm -hmm. um, and many of us who were not the four uh, golden children spent every day of our, of our time in theater school in fear that we would do the wrong thing um, and that we would then be asked to leave because we did the wrong thing. Um, which is not particularly a, a, a great way to spend a creative time is to, mm -hmm. to, to be in fear. Um, but again, I think I, I feel like that was a little bit about power as well mm -hmm. um, uh, to keep us off balance. And there are sad side effects to that kind of that kind of thing where we're taught not to rock the boat and we're taught not to speak up. Um, <laughs> I agree. And that ends up with with unfortunate consequences in, in, in some of the, the larger theaters in the, in, in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I totally agree. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why people are believe they have to keep their mouth shut. I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, I agree that, that certain kinds of pressure um, 
act in opposition to what they ideally could or mm-hmm. should, maybe. Um, you know, for me, I think it's important for a student to understand that their effort is required, their participation mm-hmm. is required, and that they have to wrangle, you know, with their uh, their challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, and that there's something very empowering, actually, about being like, okay, I'm not... I, you know, I'm not great at this, but mm-hmm. I need to kind of figure out what I can do, you know, like what is my version of this? Yeah. Um, and having deadlines and having expectations, mm-hmm. I think has to exist. I yes. think if we eliminate that altogether, it becomes problematic in a whole sure. other territory. Yeah. Um, but I agree if it's being held as some kind of carrot, mm-hmm. that is where it goes wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And I agree that if favoritism is shown that that is a problem. Yeah. Um, Mm. I, you know, how do you solve that? Uh, you know, a, a grand sweep of the industry. That, I mean, that's that's the, the the. But who decides? Well, that's the, the thing. Issue. That is the thing. Who does decide? Yeah, um, like there's an instructor in uh, Quebec who I worked with as a student who I had a tremendous experience with, mm-hmm. who I know other people had a very contrary experience mm. with, and I'm like. If I had to decide, I'd keep them. Yeah. But, you know, if I hear this information, yeah. I'm like, well, what is that? Is that yeah. perception? You know, mm-hmm. like it yeah. opens up some horrible questions mm-hmm. um, and a much bigger discussion that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I don't know, you know, like I think in an educational institution, it absolutely is the responsibility to help students understand that discipline is required to, yeah. to, to work in an industry mm-hmm. like this one, which is unpredictable. Absolutely. And, um, but I think that that doesn't need to be taught through uh, this kind of standardized mm-hmm. ultimatum, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, as, as, as a teacher and, and somebody who's taught uh, uh, students for, for a while, um, is, what's your favorite part about, about teaching? Um... I'm going to give away a, a kind of secret. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> this is horrible. So, so it's kind of the same thing that's my favorite thing when I'm directing. Mm-hmm. Is that sometimes if you do things like, it's not the right way of saying this, but kind of well enough, mm-hmm. the actor believes they did it all by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what if, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yes. And they mm-hmm. come to this realization where they can really own their themselves as an artist and a creator and a participant. And, mm-hmm. a, you know, and then their voice really starts to, you get to be partners yeah. in crime, you know, you get to be like a team yeah, in that yeah. sense. And uh, in a way, it's the same thing with students, you know, mm-hmm. where yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of, ways in which you can achieve this Mm -hmm. but when they finally put it together Mm. i don't know it's just (laughs) like it's through the looking glass good do you know it's like yeah you know i want i i say this story a lot but it's like uh, i want you know a thousand years ago um when i first started in this industry (laughs) um (laughs) i remember hearing this interview with uh, and i can't remember which but one of the redgrave sisters was talking about the other Mm redgrave sister Mm -hmm. about uh, what she liked so much about her work and um she was like you know regardless of what character she plays she always seems to be in this state of transformation of rapture and i remember that description i heard that when Mm -hmm. i was like a late teen and being like 
I always want to make stuff like that, you know? Like, I was like, I want everything to mm-hmm. feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think when, uh, when a student really realizes that it's not about perfection and it's not about right and it's not about, you know, the idea of the work, but mm. it's really them as the channel, do you know, the live yeah. circuit to where humanity can, you know, share mm. a little bit of itself... Yeah. You know, then uh, something of what it means to be human, you yes, know, yeah. then you are really in that state of wonder. Yeah. Learning that, that you don't have to be right all the time, especially in the rehearsal hall. It's one of those difficult challenges because you always want to, especially when we're really young. Yeah. We think that it has to be perfect out of the box. Yeah. Like I've felt that way so for so long about writing. First go, first draft, oh, that's shit. I'm going to throw that out, Um, which is not a great way to to go about things. But you have to learn that you build on it and that if you make a mistake, that's an opportunity. So difficult to learn at first. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time a teacher said to me that it's okay for a director to say, I don't know. Mm. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What does this mean? What What is this cryptic mm. <laughs> messaging? You And I'm like, oh, I don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why it's not about when you're teaching somebody, it's not about like, I am the teacher and I have this magic vault of all the information mm. you need to be successful in your field, you know? And I may not always be able to get you there, quote yeah. unquote. I may not be able, I can, all I can do is provide tools and make suggestions and you will take those tools and do with what you will and I may not know in this moment what do you have to contribute you know and that it can be really a a relationship that is uh, that is shared in terms of expanding that training and that experience Um, yeah I don't believe in perfection and I think that honestly you can't make theater if you're stuck on perfection because theater is about human beings who are nowhere near perfect it's also so many I mean the making of theater is so many layers of, of, of people. Yes. It is such a collaboration. Yeah. And not every collaboration happens in the room. There's a playwright who writes some words and a director who interprets those and actors who also interpret those. And there's a, there's a, a designer who interprets things. And <laughs> yeah. like every, there's so many interpretations mm-hmm. that all have to come together. Mm-hmm. And because we're all people working on the thing, it, you just have to work with whatever you get, kind of. Yes, but, you know, I think it's about creating an environment in which um, someone feels empowered enough and secure enough and, and willing enough to uh, take the risks, you mm-hmm. know, to leap of, to take a leap of faith, mm-hmm. to try, to not be afraid of trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is no try. There's, There's only, only do. Yes, but, yes, yes. You know, there is lots of try. Of course, I think in yeah. the theater, it has to be that, and yeah. um, and that really, you know, like all the people have to agree to that set of rules. That it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it is a sacred space. Literally going back to the beginning of my conversation mm-hmm. with you, where anything is possible, and that includes the possibility that we can really work together to create something spectacular, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as long as we agree that this is a safe space mm-hmm. where we are committed to telling these stories yeah 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 so that we've talked about what you what you know your favorite thing about teaching uh-huh. what is the biggest challenge to teaching acting um <laughs> uh biggest challenge uh it uh, you know the thing that drives me a little bit nuts <laughs> 
I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that thing of like, okay, so, um, I don't know. It's that thing of like a lack of initiative on something that's really easy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's like, okay, so read this and then give back to me. And it's like, okay, did you read it? Oh, no, I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Why didn't you read it? Do you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that, it's that thing of like something that seems fairly simple mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that for whatever reason there's a boundary to achieving that mm. you know whether it's self-imposed on the part of that individual right. or whether it, you know like and I find that part hard <laughs> that thing of like navigating that like I can see that you can see mm-hmm, <laughs> you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. we're so close but and that last <laughs> moment right that last yeah. moment of reserve mm. that that hold that obstacle whatever it might yeah. be i find that part hard you know it's like it's like uh, it's maybe it's the fear maybe it's mm. the fear that it, you know it's that because it's scary of course it is it's almost scarier when you get close to it yeah like it's it's less scary when you go through and actually try it and make that choice mm-hmm. and do that thing than when you're just on the threshold about to try that choice or play that character in that way or whatever it is you know absolutely because I feel like it, we're always afraid of the thing that means something to us yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so, what well, is a really clumsy way to say that, but you get the yeah, idea. No, um, <laughs> that when we're on the cusp of it, we're almost, re- like our lizard brain says, no, I can't, no, I can't. Yeah. Because what if we fail? That's right. But if we don't, then it's so much better. Yeah, you know, I like the idea of spectacular disasters. Like I, you know, <laughs> I mean, my whole life has been prepping me for that. And so, you know, I like I... I love the faults, right? Mm. And I think that that perfectionism, that fear of like, as you were saying, of right. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe that's what drives me the most nuts mm. about teaching. Mm. The rest of it, I'm pretty good with. Nice. You know, I mean, I would say technically the ever-changing computer systems and programs on how to load. Oh marks. well, I mean that's that's I mean that's just that is that's just the logistics of like of, of I'm a bit of education. a carrier pigeon slash you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a really old school person. So you prefer you kind of prefer like paper and stuff. I'm and a bit of a it, yeah. paper. Okay, I still yeah. keep an agenda on mm-hmm. paper. I have it with me. You know, like I'm very like I have this you know fancy phone that does all of this stuff. I don't know how it achieves such a thing. <laughs> I really, I really was built to be, you know. Do you do? I mean, not it, aside from the, uh, the 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 different systems that schools give us and yeah. give you to, to work with, do you find that there's other technologies that are, we're using in the theater that you're just like, I don't know why we have to do that. Uh, no, or is not it just really. mostly I'm like your open. agenda and your phone, or yeah, no, I'm really open to new technologies mm. and new ideas, right? Like I. I think that it is important. I don't think this happens enough to really question what is theater today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is theater in Canada today? What is Mm. theater in Toronto today? I don't think people ask these questions enough. I think that there's, you know, and the same is true. I mean, this may be a bit dangerous to say, but it's like we have these big theater companies with these big budgets and they, you know, and they, they have some measure of freedom to experiment and try things out. But on some level, it's like, what is the, what does the next wave look Mm. like what does the next version of theater look like and what can it be and so um no so I'm very open you know like even though although I'm dating myself now which I thoroughly resent um there may have been a wave I hear about in the 80s where there was a lot of like multimedia Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some of it was really terrible right like even then yeah even before we really knew what it was yeah 
And it, you could tell. It was like, that's really cheesy or that's mm. really bad and it looks bad. But it still was a group of people or a movement that was starting to question how to tell stories in different mm-hmm. ways. I think we should always do that. I don't mm. think we should ever get too comfortable with what this art form is. It's been evolving over centuries. Sure. So yeah. I do think that you know you're talking about the, these big companies and they've got like they've got grants, they've got the money, they have the room to explore. Yeah. The problem is that I think in a lot of cases you get stuck with the idea that oh, but this has to be a success. Yeah. And so I if think we're not are... selling a certain number of tickets because we have our subscribers yeah. to think about, we have this and we have that. So we have, there's a certain amount of playing it safe that ends up happening in some of those theaters, in a lot of those theaters. I would imagine that that happens. Mm-hmm. I think there's an enorm- there must be an enormous amount of pressure Absolutely. to deliver sold out shows Absolutely. Or, or above a certain box office. Mm-hmm. And yes, for sure. Um, I think that's. I think that's fortunate in that there are some shows that come out that are great. Yeah. And I think it's unfortunate because I am very I'm very passionate about next generation mm-hmm. and new work and yeah. uh, you know, and even like even mid career artists that are work that aren't in the top ten, yeah. you know, and that are doing material which is not that. Yeah. And I think there should be room on our quote unquote larger stages are more, mm-hmm. you know, established stages for these kinds of works. Mm-hmm. Um, and and allowing the public to access these and not just at fringe, though fringe is great. Yeah. But what happens if you take a show like that? And I know it happens on occasion, mm-hmm. but I mean it It's pretty rare like, that it happens. I yeah. mean there's some notable exceptions. Yes. Um but it'd be but great if rare. it was part of a season, you know, like so of every season. Of season. It's like, here yeah. are three big-ass... Sh- oh, sorry. No, no, we, okay, I can swear, yes. I swear a lot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was being good there, so... You didn't, oh, you know, I should have told you in the beginning. You could, Damn it! Just, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I almost blew out a whole slew of swear words just because... <laughs> um, so, like, here are three, like, main stage pieces. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not giving them necessarily the main stage, mm-hmm. but you're giving them a public forum... Yeah. You know, that has the name behind it, mm-hmm. that has the backing, even if you don't give it a full budget, even mm-hmm. if you don't give it, you know, but that it's there and yeah. that we're, you know, we're allowing audiences to actually, you know, ingest some of this other kind of work, mm-hmm. these other stories. Yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, that to me is ideal. Sure, yeah. That's the ideal case yeah, yeah. scenario. Hmm. No, absolutely. Um, well, uh, we're almost out of time, so uh, okay. this has been a lot of fun. I really want to thank you for uh, for doing this. It's been fun for me too. Thank awesome. you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.